Well, this morning, if I, I mean, I've got such a deal for you. If I offered you $10 million for your Bible this morning, what would you do? Now, let's just say that the offer was legitimate and I, it was resourced well, and I offered you $10 million for your Bible, what would you do? Well, you'd probably start thinking, $10 million, huh? Tax-free? Yeah, tax-free. Okay, $10 million. Uh, well, I, I, I know if I took that offer, I could text my boss on the way home uh, today. No more office politics for me, no more backstabbing, cutthroat sort of uh, bureaucracy going on, no more unsympathetic, insensitive, demanding bosses or boards or clients or patients, no more business travel where I'm missing birthdays or recitals or uh, kissing my kids before I leave knowing that when I get back they're going to be just a little bit taller, I will have missed just a little bit more of their life, that's all gone. $10 million, huh? Never again will you have that, that feeling in your stomach you have when you talk to the mechanic and he initially thought it was going to be a few bucks and it's a few thousand dollars or, or you get that bill or when you know your kid needs braces but for crying out loud, who can afford braces? Insurance won't, won't cover it or that. Or what about your aging parents? What do you do with that? Or your own health in the future or retirement? Well, all of those questions are gone, $10 million, okay, you've sold me, where do I line up? But, but, but before you regret that you didn't bring your Bible this morning, um, let, let me clarify what I'm thinking about here. I'm not just saying your, your physical Bible, I'm saying Bible for the rest of your life. So you can never again read a portion of scripture electronically or in paper. You can't sneak to the hotel and grab a Gideon Bible and now you can't borrow a friend's. You can never again read scripture. You can never again listen to a sermon or a, a, a podcast of a sermon or even a, a TED talk for crying out loud where they reference the word of God. Any reference to God's word, directly or indirectly, you can't go there. Any literature that might quote scripture or refer to scripture, no. Any conversations with friends or anybody where God's word may came, come up, you can't go that route either. No music where any of the references or any of the, the lyrics come from directly or indirectly from the word of God, no rest of your life. So would you give that up for $10 million? Now, some of y'all would go, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll do that, all right. Others might say, it's a difficult one, I don't know. And then there'll be others who would say, not, not even, wouldn't even hesitate, absolutely not. I don't care how many zeros you put at the end of, of that number, forget it, not gonna happen. And you know our culture today, if such, a, such an offer was made, was legitimate, someone said no, our culture would clearly say that person who said no was deranged, diso they, were, they, were, they were deluded, they did not understand, they're living in their own uh, spiritual fantasy world. They were deranged after the manner of maybe a John Wycliffe who was separated from much of what he, he loved towards the end of his life because of his commitment to get the word of God into the language and the hands of the commoner. Deranged after the, the matter of, of William Tyndale who spent his life, much of it as a fugitive and would eventually be killed because of his desire and commitment to get the word of God into the language in the hands of, of us. 
deranged after the, the manner of Martin Luther, who only after he was hiding out in a castle could he put the Bible translated into the, the language, the German language, for the commoner. Deranged after the manner of thousands and thousands of, of youth and men and women all over the pages of church history who were, were imprisoned, tortured, some lost their lives because they would not live it without the Bible. And we would say, well, those folk were, were deranged. And I would submit to you that they were deranged or they knew something that most folk today don't know. My fear is that they probably knew something that most folk in the church, capital C, have forgotten or don't know. They knew something that many who are products of being discipled by our culture today uh, never knew. And that, that is, is the power and the purpose of the word of God. And so our, our goal this morning is we just want, want to, to look at what Tyndale, Wycliffe, Luther, thousands of others knew that we don't or we want to be reminded of what they knew and see how that might impact our lives just for the rest of them. So if you, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, would you, would you look to locate Psalm 19? Psalm 19. I don't think there's any portion of Scripture that is more clear, that is more concise on the power and the purpose of the Bible than this. And so you want to check that out. David wrote this. He didn't write all the Psalms, but he wrote a good number of them. And he, he wrote this one, Psalm 19. And let me give you kind of the, the structure of the Psalm. It's a wonderful Psalm. But the first six verses, he's talking about natural revelation, the theologians call it, creation. And then the next six verses, he's talking about special revelation, the Bible. And then he closes the chapter with, with a prayer. Right away, verse 1, chapter 19, verse, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the, the sky above proclaims his handiwork through nature. He's going to go on like that for a while. The, the nature tells us some things about God, right? That's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. If you went out on a starry night and you looked up, you go, Wow, God is so big. Nature tells us a lot about God, right? You go to the zoo and you go, man, is God so creative. You check out a sunset and you go, wow, is that beautiful. Nature tells us some things about God. That's his purpose. But it doesn't tell us everything about God. And so you get to verse 7 and the psalmist says, yeah, nature tells us some stuff about God, but we need more. We need more. We need a special revelation. And so you get verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. You see that, that of the Lord? That's, that's, that's a critical phrase. And let's, let's back up again to verse 1 for just a second, just to see this. I think it's important. The heavens declare the glory of God. That word God. You can circle that. That's the Hebrew word El, and it is the most ambiguous, generic, 30,000-foot word for God that the, the, the language knows. God. Mr. God. You know some things about God, but it's not, not a personal word, not a personal deal. And in those first, first six verses when it talks about nature, that word appears one time. But then when it talks about special revelation, the Bible, you've got a different word for God. 
the law of the Lord. And that word Lord appears seven times. Now, the word Lord, that's God's first name, right? That's Yahweh. That's like, that's like God in verse one is Mr. God. In chapter, uh, verse seven, it's his personal name. Through God's word, you can get on a first name basis with God is what it's saying. You know some things about God through nature, but not a whole lot. I mean, you, you know he's vast, but is he personal? Well, nature doesn't tell us that. You know that he's creative, but is he good? I mean, I can also see hurricanes in nature. I don't know if this God is good. Nature's not gonna tell you that. Nature lets me know that, that, that God is powerful, but does he love me? Now, nature won't tell you that. Well, nature doesn't tell you a lot of the, the personal characteristics of God. You need his word for that. And so for the next few verses, when it talks about the word of God, it talks it over and over again. It mentions his personal name, uh, Yahweh. I was, uh, well, the name Haddon Robinson probably doesn't mean much to y'all. But 20, 25, 30 years ago, Haddon was the prince of preachers in the United States of America, Western world. Haddon wrote a textbook that was used in early 90s, 90s, through in most evangelical colleges and seminaries. Haddon uh, was the chair of the Department of Homiletics at Dallas Seminary. He became the president of Denver Seminary where Pastor Dennis got his doctorate. He became the, the president of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He headed up a, a program of preaching at Gordon-Conwell, the doctoral program. He had been voted one of the top 10 preachers in America by I think it was Time. It was either Time or, or Newsweek. But when he was at Gordon, I signed up because I wanted to be mentored by Haddon. And so I remember the first day of class, there's about 30 of us, and we're in this room, and all of us are like Haddon groupies. You know, Haddon was a, was a celebrity for us, and so we're all kind of in there, and all of us were trained on his textbooks, and all of a sudden, Haddon Robinson walks in, and we're like, oh, you know, a celebrity for us. And, and then another gentleman walks in who would teach with Haddon, and he introduced Haddon to us, and he, he said, this, this next three-year journey you will be on, you need to know this about Haddon. You can have as much of Haddon as you want. If you initiate, if you seek him out, you knock on his door, you email him, he will never reject you. He will never turn down the phone call unless it's another meeting somewhere and then he'll get back to you. You can have as much of him as you want. The only thing keeping you from, from friendship with Haddon is you. Well, I, I found that to be true. I think this is the way it is with us and God. We, we revere God as we should, oh, Mr. God. But as far as having personal, no, no. But the reality is we can have as much of God. You can have as much of God as you want. It's totally up to you. And this is the way you get it, the law of the Lord. So the word of God. It says the word of God is perfect. The word perfect means it's complete, it's fulfilled, it's, it's all you need. All you need to know God, to grow, is, is right 
Here, you don't need a second blessing. You don't need a second touch of the Holy Spirit. If he gives it you that, that's wonderful, but you don't need that. You don't need some existential experience and some supernatural kind of event thing where you're just zapped one day. You don't need that. The word of the, 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 the God of the Lord is complete. It's pure. It's all you need. It says, and it's all you need for reviving the soul. You love this. This, this reviving is transforming the soul. And I like this because so many folk, when they look at the Bible, they think it's just a bunch of rules and guidelines and don't do this and do this and don't do this. So I have got to muster all of my self-discipline and do this, and that's what it's about. And God says, no. First thing about my word you need to know first purpose of my word is it transforms your soul it works from the inside out I'm not looking for some outward uh, obedience to what's going to what I've said I want to transform your soul you know one of the things that frustrates me sometimes is when you come across a believer and they are acting out of their sin uh, or their baggage and they'll say something like well that's just the way I am you ever does that bother you? That's just the way I am. It's almost like a badge of honor. It's like, it's like, you know what? Other people are hiding who they are, but not me. It's just the way I am. And you want to say, you don't really, you don't say this, but you want to say, well, yeah, that is the way you are. You are an ornery, selfish, pig-headed, gossip-hound, arrogant, self-absorbed person. You're absolutely right. That's who you are. But you don't have to stay that way. That's the whole idea of the gospel. Jesus didn't just come to take your ornery cuss self to heaven one day because he can't get along without you. He came to transform you from the inside out. That's the whole goal. His, the word of God transforms us. That's what it does. It, it makes us what he wants us. You know, when we come to know Christ, we know we get the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, let me check this out. Hebrews 4, verse 11. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need to know that the Holy Spirit inspired the word. Holy Spirit is a master surgeon. His goal is to work on us. He doesn't just do it by zapping us. When, when we immerse ourselves in Scripture, it's like we're giving the surgeon the scalpel to work in, in our life, to make us who he wants us to be. God, God's plan is to take people whose soul, what's, what's, what's the state of your soul this morning? To take a soul that is beaten and bruised and broken and bent and it's, it's just because of our own sin because of stuff that's happened to us other people's sin and his goal is to transform that and he does it through his word and we would say oh God if you're going to transform me, change me from the inside out, take a heart that's hard and make it soft, take a, a greedy person and make them generous, take an anxious person and make them peaceful, take a curt person and make them kind, you, you want to do that, you're going to do it here, then my goodness, then that's incredible. That's, that's more than anyone could imagine. That's more than enough. But there's more, Scripture says. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple it's trustworthy that's the sure by the word by the way these words commandments testimonies you'll find might find precepts statutes they're all just synonyms for the word of god the testimony of the lord is sure it's trustworthy to do something 
to make wise the simple. In, in, in the Bible, the foolish person is the person who says, I really don't care about God. I'm going to go do what I want to do. That's a foolish person. But a simple person in Scripture is not there. A simple person may care. They just are unlearned. They're ignorant. They don't know how to handle the situation. Have you ever been in a situation coming at you fast and furious, lots of, of data, it's very complicated, and you look at it and you go, how in the world am I supposed to handle this one? How do, how do I respond to this in a God-honoring way? That's part of the purpose of the Word of God. God cares how we navigate life. He doesn't just leave us to our life coach and Google. He, he, he wants to change us and help us to see life through his eyes, give us the wisdom so that we can make the right decisions. You know, as well as I do when this is all over, our lives are really a summation of the decisions we've made. And God wants to make us wise. Psalm 119, 98 through 100. Fascinating text. It says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. God's word allows us, equips us to handle life. And you would say, well, my goodness, if it's just God's word transforms me, and if God's word equips me, that's, that's, Wow. But there's more, right? There's more because verse 8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right or straight, rejoicing the heart. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, huh, I've tried to read the Bible before. Doesn't rejoice my heart? Not at all. And it's probably easy for King David to say because he was like a king. He's in the palace for crying out loud. He's got servants. He's got tax money. You know, I mean, for, yeah, it's easy for, for the king to say it rejoices his heart because he's got no issues. Well, remember, David was in the palace, but it was kind of like Peyton Palace. Uh, David was the runt of the litter. He had older brothers who ridiculed him and mocked him. He had a dad who didn't believe in him. The person he admired the most hated him, tried to kill him. Uh, King David, his, his first marriage went south. The gal was not on the same page with him, mocked him because of his spirituality, and eventually she ended up in the arms of another guy. King David had a baby die. He had a daughter raped. He had a, a, a son murdered. He had another son that started up a re revolt against him. He was the subject of, of slander and unjust situations and on top of it all David had this haunting thing that he did a long time ago that hurt a lot of people hurt himself was with him David was very familiar with 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 pain and David is able to say you don't have to you got a hard life you don't have to live in depression there is a joy it goes beyond what this world offers. Think of, think of Jeremiah. I don't know if you ever consider Jeremiah's ministry. Jeremiah did not have a, a, an enviable ministry. He was thrown into a pit and into the stocks and, and beaten. And those were the good days for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was just, he, no, one, no fruit. No one, no one gave him the time of day in a positive way. But this is what Jeremiah writes. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. He says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. 
for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And then John writes, and he writes to people who are being persecuted for their faith. Their future does not look real good. And in John 1.4, he says this. He says, we're writing these things so that our joy, or an alternative reading would be, so that your joy would be complete. In this life, if you try to find all of your joy just on the horizontal plane, you know how this goes, right? You get the scholarship to college, and yeah, you're joyful, and then you flunk out. It's like, oh, that's a bummer. Then you find the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, and you will never again be lonely. Yay! And then you wish you were lonely. And then you have the child, and then something bad happens to the child, and you get a job, and something bad's a terrible job, and on and on. And I don't want to be a spoiler here, but you know the ending goes this way. I have been through several of the endings, and I've never been through a single one where it was fun and it was a joyous situation. And so if our our joy that we find in this life is just on the horizontal plane, our prospects are not good, and we'll spend our entire life doing this until the end. But, But folk who might know more than we do tell us that there is a joy that can be found as we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, as, as we consistently are in the Word of God, that he reorients us, and puts our joy on a, our vertical plane that the horizontal just can't touch. And you think, well, if God's Word transforms me and equips me for life and gives me joy, well, that's enough, but there's more, right? There's more. It says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I don't know if you've ever been to, uh, uh, I don't even know if they have one at the mall. I haven't been to the mall since I've been back here. They used to have a Spencer's Gifts. I don't, I don't recommend the store per se. But outside the Spencer's Gifts, at one point, they had one of those curvy mirrors, right? Maybe you get one of those at a carnival or house of mirrors. When I was a little boy, we'd go to the fair and there would be that. And you'd stand in front of the mirror and you would look like you're about this tall and this wide. But it's you, you could, it's, you could tell enough that it's you, but you've got, it's a very twisted perspective of you. Or you might stand in front of another one and you're looking like you're nine feet tall and six inches wide. I believe that all of us have the mirror, stand in front of the mirror of this society, of our past, of our baggage, of what's been told us, of what our own ability to reason is, and we have a twisted view of us, of each other, of church, of sex, of money, of pleasure, of work, of life, purpose, of God. But as the the, the pure mirror, the, the straight mirror, it's right here. And as we immerse ourselves here, God helps us to see ourselves and life in an appropriate, realistic, right way that, that, that changes us. And, and, and the next verse is amazing. Verse, verse 9, he says, The fear of the Lord is clean and joined forever. David changes gears here a little bit. David had been talking about the characteristics of the word, and now he talks about a, a characteristic of one who immerses himself in the word. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom, but what is fear of the Lord? That's kind of a misunderstood thing. I think you can... can uh, Translate the word worship. Uh, understanding who God is. The more we're in 
the more we understand who he is. One of my favorite stories, I'm not so sure, it's a, they say it's a kid's story. I don't know if it really is. Maybe it just tells you something about me. But I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I've read it seven, eight, nine times. And, and um, if you're not familiar with the Chronicles, there's, there's uh, I think, seven books in the series. And each book, these children enter into the land of Narnia where they meet Aslan, who is the Christ figure. He's a lion. And they go through all these adventures. Then they get out of Narnia at the end. Then at the next book, they get in Narnia again. And there's another adventure with Aslan. Well, Prince Caspian, the book Prince Caspian, the kids get into Narnia. And they are looking for Aslan. Um, but you don't just... Aslan doesn't just show up because you want him to in Narnia. He's a wild lion. He comes when he wants to. But the kids are looking for him, especially Lucy. She's got a real sensitive spirit. And so one night she wakes up sensing something. And she just goes for a walk, finds herself out in this meadow, and says, and then, oh joy, for he was there. The huge lion shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion, but Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in that beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. Well, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year we grow in God's word seeking him, he will become bigger. Do we think that we understand the infinite God? There's so much more of him that we can get. And as we we, we devote ourselves, as we commit ourselves, we immerse ourselves, God grows. And you know what happens when that happens? Our faith grows. Our confidence in him grows. If, if, if we, we, we seek him. He says that the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They're 100% correct. There's nothing in this book that shouldn't be here. There's nothing not in this book that should be here. We think sometimes that if, if this book was rewritten for our, our lives, oh, it'd be radically different because our lives are a little more complex and sophisticated. And Cultural things would shift, obviously. But what's here is what would be here because God's word is pure, it's right, it's perfect, it's complete for, for us. And that's why you get to verse 10. And this is the response to someone who, a Wycliffe, a Tyndale, someone who understands the word of God. It says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. He says, this is, this, I'm not gonna live for material stuff. I'm not gonna live for the trinkets of this world. This is so much greater because it transforms me. It helps me see him. It helps me see life. It brings me joy. It makes me wise. And he'll even say, Uh, that this is greater than my own daily sustenance. It's sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. That's the the priority. You know what 
most of us are not gonna be tempted to trade in our Bibles for $10 million. But often, see this in me, maybe this is in you, we can trade them in for something so much cheaper, can't we? Just another TV show, just another nine holes, the game, uh, another cat video on the internet because that's so life-changing, isn't it? And we, we, another conversation with under coffee, another, another nap. There's so many things, so much less worth than 10 million that we're willing to trade. God's word for it, but he says, more be desired are they than $10 million. And then, uh, beginning verse 12, we're not gonna unwrap all this. Great, he kicks into a prayer, though. And you need to know this, all of study of God's word should lead to prayer. It's all desi designed to lead to intimacy with him. If you just study, 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 and it doesn't lead you that way, just know you're missing something. That's not what the design is. But notice in verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? In other words, he's in the book, right? And he suddenly gains this emotional intelligence where he realizes that my own discerning capabilities are suspect. Maybe I live my life that I will be the judge and I will ascertain whether it makes sense or not and I will determine whether it's the way I should go. And now he's saying, man, my own discerning capabilities are, are suspect, they're limited. And, and because God has grown and because he realizes who he is by being in the word, he leans more and more into God. You know, we don't study scripture because it's a Christian hobby, right? Like somebody might study history. Well, we're gonna study the Bible accordingly. We don't, we don't read scripture uh, to escape, like someone who might get into a romance novel that's just get, get me out of this world for a little bit. We don't read scripture because it's a thing good Christians do and we wanna be a good Christian, so make sure we, we read scripture. We read, we immerse ourselves, we meditate on, God's word because it's the doorway by which we might enter into a closer walk with him that we might become more of the people he wants us to be and I, I think that most of us want that uh, maybe what we need is a plan more than anything else and so let me let me let me give you a plan if you've already got one and it's working for you, wonderful, stick with it. But, but otherwise, let me give you a two-railed two plan. And if you can run the train on these two rails, you will get to where uh, King David is here in Psalm 19 as far as the understanding of God's word. First rail is, is simple enough. It's to read scripture. And you might say, oh, I've tried that before. And I get through Genesis and then power through the end of Exodus with all the tabernacle stuff and then I hit the wall of Leviticus and I'm just telling you, uh, I've had more Bible study plans stop at Leviticus. I, I, don't, I don't know. No joy there, let me tell you. Um, a plan. The best Bible reading plan that I am aware of, and I've had to research a gazillion of them over the years, is one called Read Scripture. You can download the app read scripture you can go check it out on the internet readscripture.org and it's fantastic because before each book that you read they have a little 
uh, insightful, creative video that will give you the background of the book and the understanding of the book that as you read, it make, makes it make so much more sense to you as far as some of the cultural things go. Let me encourage you to go with this. Let's stop for just a second and look and listen to a couple of the, the men that put together this program. I think the best gift anyone ever gave me was when I was about 15, this pastor taught me how to read the Bible for myself. He, he didn't just say, here's what it says, do this, but he says, no, read it yourself. And the reason why that was such a huge gift is because for the last 30-something years, I've been doing that almost every day. I became a Christian when I was 20 years old because I found Jesus so compelling and so amazing. And so I'm a new Christian. I read the Bible from cover to cover and I am lost. I mean, just totally bewildered. And so one of the greatest gifts that anyone ever gave me was a teacher who taught me, first of all, to see how every book of the Bible fits together as a unified story that leads to and points to Jesus. And that the message of this story and of the scriptures is so profound. I've had like the most meaningful times where I'm going, what? This is what it actually says? And I, I've made major life decisions where no one else is around, just me and this book. He also taught me how to read the Bible for myself, to gain the skills. He gave me confidence, just practical know-how about how to read an ancient book that is God's word to me still today. And it bothers me because I go, man, nowadays I don't hear about people getting alone with God or alone with the Bible. All I hear is about, Oh, this speaker or this religious leader and I'm going man don't you ever just get alone I mean this is where the 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 impossible happens there's something about the story of the Bible with once you become comfortable and, and learn how to live and read in its world all of a sudden these stories that seem so bizarre and strange they become profound insights into day-to-day -day life and family and what it actually means to follow Jesus. I think, man, what would the church look like if everyone, like everyone in there that showed up on a Sunday morning actually spent the whole week, every day, alone with God, having these experiences, and then they come together? Like that would change everything. Can you imagine a church, like Francis just said, where, where we're all immersed in God's word, more to be desired than gold all the time? What God would do through that kind of a place? We want to be that kind of a place. And so, uh, it was about 35 years ago, somebody challenged me, uh, and I kind of grew up in the church, and I was reading, went to Awana and all those things, and not neglecting the Bible, but they challenged me, read it through in a year. And so I did. And I've done it every year since then. And I've got to tell you, for, for me, um, <laughs> all of what David said here in Psalm 19 wasn't in my mind at the time, but, but 35 years later, I'm looking at it going, yeah, ab absolutely, nothing has changed my life more. And so I cannot, I'd be, I'd be amiss, remiss if I did not challenge you to do the same. Would you, would you commit yourself to reading through? Most important thing isn't necessarily getting it through as, much as it is every single day to be in God's word. So this is the first rail. Second rail is this, because scripture tells us that we need to commit to 
private meditation. But you know, more than that, Scripture tells us we need to study in community. There much more, the study of God's Word, the knowing of God's Word is done in community. It's, it's the whole purpose, really, of the church. Be, because when we're in a group and we're looking at, at God's word, I might have something blocking it. I may have some limitations, baggage. I just can't see what this text says. But someone else in the group may be able to discern what it says. And that would, what's the word I need? Or maybe God would use me in their life. Or maybe we can sit down as, as a group and say, how in the world do you live this out when you got little kids or aging parents or facing what we're facing? Uh, I don't know of any catalyst that's greater for the application of God's word than in community. And so in a couple of weeks, the 22nd and the 29th, we're going to convert our hub to a Appleton Alliance Groups Expo where there will be all kinds of adult groups showcased there. But here's the deal. Every single one of them, every single one of them, their primary goal is to help us understand and know God's word. And so let me challenge you along those lines as well that, that on the 22nd 29th sign up to be a part of a group and there will be many check them out it will be it could be life-changing because here's here's the deal one year from today we'll be a year closer uh, to eternity but will we be one year farther down the road transformed will we know him deeper? Will he be bigger? Will we be more equipped to handle life or not? It's totally up to us and our commitment to God's word. Would you stand please? And let me, let me pray for us as we close off the service. Uh, God, you've given us a gift in your word and we get hung up in the, the culture. I know you had to write it for the folk you gave it to originally where they could understand it. We get hung up with those things, but God, thank you for the gift. And maybe even in our world today, where we have such a, a preponderance of it, um, we can neglect it more easily. I know today there are places where they don't have it. And even now, there are groups meeting secretly, risking them, their, their, their lives because of your word. And God, I pray that, that you would we wouldn't have to work it up, but you'd develop in my heart and the hearts of your people a desire for your word more than gold and much fine gold, that it would be sweeter to our taste than honey and the honeycomb, that we would be able to say with confidence the things that David says here, that we would understand your word as that which transforms and gives us joy and equips us for life and allows us to see our world and you through your eyes. And the thought, God, of what you could do through people and a group in that, that, that category amazes me. Would you do that here, even this week, in the name of, of Jesus, that he would be glorified? Amen. Have a good day.